Hi, my name is Dr. Salman Keshavji, and I'm the director of the Harvard Center for Global Health Delivery, Dubai. And I'm also an associate professor in the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're very much the key figure behind the latest Lancet series that we're discussing. And this is a series looking at tuberculosis, which is a subject we've covered in The Lancet many, many times before. I guess the first thing to say from the outside uh, looking at TB is it seems to be a disease where, where progress is very, very slow. Before we go into reasons why that is, can you just outline some basic facts and figures? People don't think about TB as a disease that affects a lot of people in the world because we've actually had a cure since 1948. So when you talk to a lot of people, they think it's cured and they think that you know very few people have it worldwide. But in fact, 9 million people get TB every year. And that's the estimates that are put out by WHO, the World Health Organization. So it could be more, it could be slightly less, but most people use the number of 9 million. And only about 6 million are actually, you know, actually are found by the medical system and put on some form of treatment. So 3 million people go untreated. And so when you think about this, this is an airborne disease. It's passed from person to person. So it's passed in communities. It's passed in families. It's passed on a subway train if you're there for a long time. It's passed in combis. It's passed in mines and workplaces and other, you know, other, other such uh, environments that are crowded. And so it really is a major problem. And out of the 9 million people that get it, an estimated 1.5 million people die every year from the disease. So that's basically like 4,000 people a day dying from the disease. And when you start to break it down a little bit further, a million children get it. Less than one-third of those children actually get treatment. TB is the biggest killer of people with HIV. So with, if, if TB could be brought under control and the rates could be down, even deaths from HIV would go down because HIV people die from it. So it's really, really a major... Uh, I think it is right now the second largest killer of adults in the world after HIV. And as rates of HIV drop, it could very soon become the largest killer of adults uh, in the world. Thank you for mapping that out so clearly. It's, it's, it's a bit depressing, isn't it, when you, when, you, when you think about it? As you say, we've, TB has been around seemingly forever. As you say, we, 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 we know what causes it. We know what, how we can, we, we can treat it. But yet it's still this major global health problem. And the mortality rate is creeping down, isn't it? 1.65% annually in the past decade. Why is progress so slow? I think the simple answer is to say that we have not used a comprehensive strategy to address this epidemic in most of the world. So in the Western world, starting in the 1950s and the 1960s, we used a comprehensive strategy. We did active case finding of, 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 of patients. So if somebody had TB, they would then go actively look at their contacts, find cases. So that was number one. Number two, we treated latent forms of the disease. This is a disease that when it infects people, you don't always get what appears to be an active infection. You get what we've you know, called a so-called latent disease. This latent disease isn't really latent. It's just kind of walled off by your body. And if there's some major stress or poor nutrition or any other factor that can drive it forward, HIV being one of them, you ba it basically becomes active. And as early as the 1960s, studies showed that if you treated the latent form of the disease, you prevented the transmission of disease because, you know, these turn on randomly. 
in a community and in a family. So, you know, if you, if you prevented it ahead of time, you wouldn't have this new disease. Studies done by the United States Centers for Disease Control in Alaska showed that you could actually have a benefit, you know, out as far as 20 years as far as mortality and disease transmission. So we weren't doing that. We also weren't treating all forms of the disease. From the first time that drugs were given to a TB patient, streptomycin was the drug. In 1948, we saw drug resistance. The strategy used from the 1990s onwards more or less ignored drug resistance. Only in the early 2000s did people start saying writ large on a global level that yes, we should start addressing drug resistance. Right now, we don't actually uh, focus on, on kids and people with HIV. The, 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 the test that was used for the, most of the last 20 years, smear microscopy, is an awful test for finding the disease in people with, TB, with, with people with HIV or in children. Although there wasn't an active uh, you know, exclusion of these groups, the tests that were being uh, prioritized didn't find these patients. Now there's newer tests. There's something called gene expert and there's other DNA-based tests. So, so now we're able to find more people, but there's never been a focus on these high-risk groups. So I think we've made a whole bunch of strategic mistakes ranging from not including in infection control, not having active case finding, not treating latent forms of the disease, not focusing on the high-risk groups. And that's led us to us not being able to tackle the disease in a comprehensive way. And we know how to do it comprehensively because we've done it in the Western world and we know that it works. Just a quick word then to follow up about the DOTS program because World Health Organization, uh, this, you know, their approach for years was, was DOTS was the solution for TB. Are we saying that DOTS has failed? Well, we're saying that DOTS may have been a first step, but one needed to move on to other steps. And, you know, I think it's a reasonable uh, approach very early on to say, look, very few people are getting treated with TB. Let's create a basic package that at least we can get more people who are infected with drug-sensitive strains on the right treatment more rapidly. And I think that one can't fault people for, for pushing forward that idea. I think where one can say that we deviated from the scientific evidence is that we didn't then say, wow, this is an important first step. We need to rapidly move to these other steps, treatment of latent, latent TB, active case finding. DOTS relied on passive case finding. So basically what that means is that you get sick, you are coughing, you're very ill, you lose weight, you start coughing up blood, you go to a doctor and they say, oh, you have TB. But then very few of your family members are screened, your kids are not screened, and so of course the disease then continues to be transmitted in your community even after you're treated. DOTS didn't focus on the critical parts of stopping an epidemic. It was a good first step. I wouldn't want to apportion blame, but I'd want to say we needed to move on from there quite rapidly and we didn't. Tell us about the Zero TB Initiative. This is detailed in the series and the comments that we're publishing. Zero TB, that's a, a good strong slogan. What is that all about? It's some sort of consensus that came about a couple of years ago? Starting in around 2007, 2008, I think a lot of people realized that DOTS wasn't going to be enough. People realized that we had been approaching this epidemic in a way that was too simplistic. It's a very complicated epidemic and you have to do the right epidemic control measures in order, in order to stop it. And in order to do the right epidemic control measures, in order to do infection control in hospitals and clinics, in order to do active case finding, in order to deliver care for latent TB and all forms of TB, you need to build up the infrastructure. And so we had a meeting at Harvard Medical School. We actually had it at Harvard University in general in June of 2012. And we brought together a large array of, of practitioners and policymakers and researchers. 
and said, look, you know, what can we do to do things differently? We broke out into working groups and people, of course, mapped out exactly the areas that I've mentioned to you. At the end of the meeting, we put out a declaration called the Zero TB Declaration. And the idea was that at the very least, people shouldn't be dying from this disease that's treatable since 1948. You know, there should be very few people, those with very advanced uh, resistance strains that may die because we don't have the means to prevent it. But, but otherwise, most people should be, should be getting the care that they need and they should be getting it in a timely fashion and they should be living. So we said at least, you know, zero, zero deaths, zero suffering and, and zero stigma because we, thought, we all felt that the stigma that comes out of TB, the reason people don't want to get treated is because there's, often there's laws that, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you uh, uh, are exposed with having TB, you lose your job, you get deported, you know, whatever that may be. And there's also, there aren't systems that actually give people the confidence that they're going to get cured. We left this meeting saying, zero, you know, with the zero TB declaration, 500 practitioners and policymakers and leaders of the field signed on to it. And it's actually on the website. People can see it. So when we left with that, we said, okay, you know, now how do we take this to the next level? How do we turn this into an implementation strategy? And we talked to different partners and different donors. One of the donors that we spoke to were, was uh, uh, Janssen Global. And we said, look, we're really interested in taking this to the next level. How do you actually create a roadmap that people can use? Because we know what to do. We've just lost the, the ability to think about it in a comprehensive way for poor countries because people have always been focused on the cost and not focused on the scientific strategy. We created a series. We brought together a lot of scientists from around the world to work on this, people who are very interested in moving forward this agenda of how do we bring this epidemic under control, how do we get to zero. And then we've taken the findings from the series and turned it into an active handbook, very similar to what the HIV community did, so that it's very easy for people to see what are the steps that need to be done to, to get to zero? What do we ask for? What do communities ask for? And we've tied that to trying to create um, innovative funding streams using the private and public sectors of countries, something called Advanced Access and Delivery, and a program called the Zero TB Cities program, where cities will take this roadmap. I want to come back to, to that in a moment, but could you just, sorry to interrupt you, could you just give us a flavour of the, the papers in the series that, you, that you've just alluded to? What, what, what are the main take-home messages from the series? Because as you say, this is, the, this is scientific evidence. This is a new framework, isn't it, for implementing No More TB campaign that you've just uh, outlined? So the first paper, which is led by Grant Theron and David Dowdy, looks at, it's called data for action. And really what it's saying is that we have the capacity to use TB data better. If you look at a large country and you say, oh, you know, that country's got a 2%, you know, 1% rate of drug-resistant TB. Well, that may be true countrywide, but you may go to a big city and find that they have 20% drug resistance. And in a small rural village, they have 0.1% drug resistance. You basically find that epidemics vary largely across different ge geographical regions. And so you can tailor your epidemic control measures to local conditions. So this paper is basically arguing that you actually have to have data coming in from different places to some central repository in a country, and then it has to be bi-directional. You actually have to have resources targeting where the hotspots are so that you can actually use the data in a way to link it to better epidemic control. So you know, really focusing on geographic information systems in many ways and linking that up to your data so that you can fight the disease better. The second paper, 
which uh, is led by Courtney Un, Mercedes Becerra, and myself, basically is questioning how do you actually stop the epidemic by, uh, you know, turning off the tap? How do you stop transmission? And in this paper, we argue that you should do more active case finding, for which there's tons of data showing how effective that is. And then you actually have to have prompt, effective treatment. Studies from the 1960s showed that if you actually get people on the right therapy rapidly, they stop being infectious. Even though they're still coughing up bugs, they can't transmit those bugs because they, you know, they're, they're rendered, in they're rendered non-infectious. So that paper really goes through the data and says, let's do what we've been doing since the 1950s and 60s and do it right. We can help turn off the tap and stop transmission. The third paper, which is led by Lele Rangaka and Richard Chasen from Johns Hopkins University, look at controlling the seedbeds of tuberculosis. That's the latent TB that I had mentioned before. So how do you actually address latent TB disease? And, and basically, they, they, they go through uh, a lot of the data and, and talk about how policies have not emphasized what we already know that you should do and that, that you, know, you, you now have to tackle that. And everywhere that people have tried to tackle latent disease, you see this massive drop in, in TB. They take the example of, of Brazil for, you know, as one of their examples. And basically, they argue that, yes, you know, people are scared to start but you can start with the populations at high, highest risk of progression, people with diabetes, people with HIV, people who are very malnourished. In fact, there are new regimens now that instead of treating people for latent TB for six months or nine months, there's like a 12-week, once-a-week regimen, and people should study even newer regimens. So they make the argument that, that really there's, there's a lot that can be achieved by doing that. The last paper, led by Catherine uh, Orplock and um, Rifa Tatun, argues that we have really, really focused on a biomedical approach for TB and that we actually need a biosocial model. We have to take into account that TB is a problem of sustainable uh, development. It is linked to uh, poverty and it drives poverty because when you get TB, you can no longer participate actively in the workforce. And so they root TB in underdevelopment, poverty, uh, social exclusion, and they say that part of the solution to stopping the epidemic is that you actually have to have some economic interventions. So they look at, you know, they, they examine uh, uh, unconditional cash transfers, the different types of incentives and enablers that have been used, and they say that actually this is in the interest of countries to look at this more as an economic problem and TB being a social development indicator so that if you actually have a lot of TB, it's a sign that you're, you're not getting your social development interventions right. So basically, what, what, what we're trying to do with this whole series is say, let's use what we know. Of course, we need new technologies and new drugs. And if we had a drug that could treat somebody in one week, that would be wonderful. If we had a vaccine, that would be incredible. Let's not stop doing that research. But let's not wait. We can stop 1.5 million people from dying every year by doing what we know and then broadening our interventions from just giving people medicines and delivering that to saying let's bring a lot of people out of poverty so that the social determinants of TB, like poverty, malnutrition, poor housing, also get ameliorated and that will bring the disease down. Returning to the zero TB and crucially you just mentioned how it's got to be part of uh, obviously the social determinants of health absolutely critical and obviously we're now in the SDG sustainable development goal era with its targets to 2030 how do, how does zero TB t 
tie in with sustainable development goals? Do you have a, a, a date in mind when we should be reaching zero TB? Is that 2030 or is it some other date? I definitely think that we should be doing it by, by 2030 at the very least. You know, I am an optimist. Here we are in 2015 and 2030 seems so far away and we have the technology to stop this disease rapidly. So can we achieve zero in the next five or 10 years? Probably will be very difficult because as I said, a lot of people have the mindset that you do one or two things, you don't do the comprehensive strategy and it's enough. And it hasn't been enough as we've seen from the rates of decline. So to really get the, you know, countries, cities, provinces, everyone to say, look, we have to do the comprehensive strategy. This is good epidemic control. It's going to take a change of mindset. And I think, you know, people that did the zero declaration in 2012 recognize that. And you'll see throughout this series, people are saying we need to change mindsets. The uh, sustainable development goals, goal number three, good health and well-being. Within that, it says that by 2030, we want to end the epidemics of AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. So I think the idea is that if you're going to end an epidemic, you're going to bring it down to, to you know, the elimination phase at least, where the rates are very, very low. And then you also see the other sustainable development goals, like no poverty, zero hunger. I think those are going to drive the TB. If those are achieved, those will also drive TB down. Look at Brazil. They had the Bolsa Familia program. They brought 35 million people out of, out of poverty. The global TB rate has been dropping at 1.65% per year on average. Rates in Brazil in the same period were dropping, as I recall, by, by more than 4% per year. China, doing a non-comprehensive approach for TB, brought their TB rates markedly down in the 1990s. During that same period, they brought 600 million people out of poverty. So I look at the, the good health and well-being goal of the, of the sustainable development goals as being directly targeted on TB. And then these other goals like no poverty and zero hunger and reduced inequalities, you know, goals one, two, and 10 as also leading. So I think that they're going to synergize. And I, I have a lot of hope that by 2030, we'll be able to achieve it at the very latest. Great. No, that's, that's a, a good optimistic way to conclude. But just a final thought, and briefly, if you would, the TB Cities Initiative. You mentioned this briefly earlier. Just briefly tell us about what, what this is doing. Is this zooming into areas where there's high TB incidents and using a comprehensive strategy to really tackle it? Yeah, that's exactly right. What we're doing with Zero TB Cities is we're saying, let's use the comprehensive strategy. We know it needs to be done. And we know that it's going to require a mindset change. And what are the best places to make this mindset change happen? And we basically realized that cities, in some ways, are a political unit that are very close to the grassroots. They work with public and private sectors. They have a direct constituency of people that they're responsible for directly that are very near to them. And so we realized that maybe if cities would take this on and say, we're going to put in the comprehensive approach, we're going to work with households you know, as the unit of intervention where we go and we look for active case finding and treatment, etc. If they were able to put that all together, we would create islands of elimination. And those islands of elimination would then you know, grow if you have 100 and then 1,000 and 10,000 cities to really you know, be something that nations are doing. And so that's why we focused on cities. And interestingly, when we went to different cities to talk to them about it, like Chennai in India, they were completely gung-ho. Lima, Peru, one of the, the, uh, the municipalities in Lima, uh, Carabayo, has already announced that they want to be a zero TB city. So, you know, you've got Lima coming on board, you've got Chennai, and we have a whole series of other cities that have expressed interest, ranging from Ho Chi Minh City uh, uh, to, to Kisumu in Kenya. I see that as one path 
to getting dialogues of elimination and getting to where we need to be by 2030. Our aim is to have the International Council of Mayors and the cities groups and other people take this on because it's something very local and very important and very doable. It all sounds very positive and we wish you lots of luck with all your work. Delighted to have had this discussion. So Simon Keshavji, who's our main author behind the latest Lancet TV series. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you, Richard.